a story, something we all know of. So I'm gonna tell you a story. I went to Walmart this week. I said, I'm gonna tell my church family a story. So I wanted to go find a book to read. And I got to the little book section that Walmart has. It's going through, going through. It's like, these block books for children, $10. I'm like, I'm not having kids anytime soon because this stuff's expensive. Yeah. The end. There's my story. Now I'm just kidding. So I did buy a book, really cool. So I was like, oh man, I'm gonna, this one didn't have a tag on it. I was like, I'm gonna be paying 10 bucks, it's $10 sermon illustration. Okay, that's fine, it's worth it. Um, I get to the self-checkout and I go to the machine that says cash only. And I was like, well, okay. So I have to get in a different line. I said, now this one says card only. And I was like, wow, we're so you know, polarized, cash only, card only. Okay, I'm in the card only line. And I scan my item and it takes a while. And then finally it says, 10 cents. Tax, one cent. So this book cost me 11 cents. I was like, this is amazing. I just, a book that cost 11 cents when I was looking at books much bigger than this, five, 10, 15, I was like, I, this is, this is God-inspired, God-intervention. He got me a book that's 11 cents, especially after I had made some specific decisions of holding off on children for a while. <laughs> the end. Another story. So we're actually gonna get to it, don't worry. This is Little Froggy's Big Wish. And if you are a child, then you get two stories today. So here's Little Froggy's Big Wish, and we're gonna do it like we did in third grade. We're gonna get here, don't worry, it's not very long. But you guys are good, because I made this joke in youth today of people sharing lists and people saying that they were gonna read books together. And I said, how do you, how do you read books together as teenagers? And I said, do you, do you go like this and you show them the pictures of the books you're reading and like everybody's head goes like this as you follow? But you guys didn't do that as I showed you Little Froggy's Big Wish. So here he is. I'm just a little froggy who wishes on a star. My big imagination can take me very far. I wish I had a lollipop so colorful and sweet, or maybe a whole field of them to give my friends a treat. I wish I had a red guitar. I'd sing a happy tune. The fireflies would dance along to, twinkle, to the twinkle of the moon. But when my mother kisses me and sings a lullaby, I know that I have all I need. I'm a little lucky guy. The end. So this is an interactive part right now. What is the moral of this story? Anybody, anybody? Mother's love. Trump's stuff, right? Okay, anything else? Pretty, pretty solid there, we're gonna settle on that. 
Interesting, it's called Little Froggy's Big Wish. And so I guess we could challenge that to say, based on the title of it, could we not say like, we want to be dreaming? Do we not want to encourage this idea of imagination? Can we take it so far though to say that this little book is telling us we don't need things. Relationships will fill our needs. That a mother's love does what does for us what other things would never be able to fill. Four pages, a text less than a hundred words, I counted them. We have these great moral lessons in this little story about little Froggy and his big wish. Author, TED Talk speaker, presenter, researcher, Brene Brown. I'm her biggest fangirl. I've talked about her in previous sermons. She has a great bit on vulnerability. She talks about in her latest book, the chemical release that happens when we tell a story because our brains crave details. And we wanna know what links A to B to C to D to get us a beginning, a middle, and an end. We release this pleasure hormone that tells us we've got it, which makes sense for why we always wanna be in the know, but how dangerous that gets when it turns into gossip. Our brain is looking for this chemical reward after an, a, a completed story. Parables are the stories that Jesus told when he was confronted with resistance, when he was just confronted in general, when he needed to make a new point using old concepts, he told a story. Parables have been described as illustrations and metaphors turned into tales. Parables are tales that are elaborated in the spur of the moment by a truly gifted teacher. Which makes sense that Jesus could do it because he is a truly gifted teacher. An author named Gordon Fee says, parables are like jokes. Fee says that the art of telling parables sh shares similarities with the art of telling jokes. In telling a joke, the audience has to understand the setup, and it is critical for the audience to relate and identify with the characters in the joke. You have a joke and a punchline. You have a story and a moral. Without a punchline, you have no joke. With just a punchline, it's not a joke. With a parable, you need the story and a moral. What is Jesus trying to tell us? With just a moral, it's not a story. Just a story with no moral, what use are those words? So we're gonna, we're gonna tell some jokes because the sermon title this morning is called Knock Knock. So we're gonna start with this one. There, I'm gonna do the ones that I did in first service for the benefit of you all, but there are some new ones if you are here in first service so that you're not completely bored. So we'll start with this. How did the telephone propose to his girlfriend? How? Thank you. He gave her a ring. I know, I know, I know. Happy Sabbath, pastors have corny jokes all the time. Till, till kingdom come, this is good. That's it, because this is the ones we can tell in church. Okay, here's another one. Um, 
Oh, well, so if this is familiar to some little ones named Cameron and Keegan, it's because I got it from them. <laughs> it was my first Friday night here as I wanted to see what we did here at Bonita on our Friday night as we prepare for the Sabbath. Everyone's practicing, everybody's having fun. Chris is ready to sing and the kids are running around and so what better time than to get to know the kids of your family. And so I remember at one point they weren't finished eating their dinner and Chris said, eat your dinner and stop running around. Don't do that in front of the pastor. <laughs> and then they looked at me, pastor? And, and then they said, can we tell her a joke? Chris came back in. And it sounds like them, right? Because this is totally how this goes. And like they had rehearsed this out of the womb, Keegan comes up to me. How do you know when a train is eating? So, how? And he looks directly at his brother. And his brother, without missing a beat, he goes, he goes, choo-choo. <laughs> yep, chewing. Brilliance. Brilliance came out of the mouth of a child that day. Audience have to know your setup. And it's fascinating because when I say knock, knock, you all know what to do. So knock, knock. <laughs> you guys are ready, huh? You guys are like, I hear the laughter in your voice. Like you already know this joke is going to be dumb. Okay, so we're going to try this again. Knock, knock. Broken pencil. Never mind, it's pointless. Wow, wow, you guys are giving me like the wah, wah, wah. Okay, okay. Yes, man, it's okay. Let's try another one. Knock, knock. Cows go. No, silly, cows go moo. <laughs> you guys are gonna be telling these for decades to come, I know. Okay, and so here's our last one. A little more serious, but you'll, you'll get it. A scientist went to God, and you know this is already bad, right? You're like, Ugh. A scientist went to God and said triumphantly, we've worked out how to make a man without you. God laughed and said, okay then, show me how, go ahead. So the scientist bent down, he picked up a handful of dirt, and God stopped him, he said, oh no you don't. Go get your own dirt. <laughs> right? So, like, you get it. <laughs> you get it. And it's this way of speaking and it's this way of communicating that there are so many things that we need to understand and we need to know for the joke to work. We need to have a common understanding for the joke and a common understanding for the punchline. So, comedy hour's finished and we'll go back to our parables. So I think that it is really weird to think about the fact that a parable is a product of Jesus' imagination. We know parables are meant to tell or to convey some type of parallel, some kind of truth, some kind of theme or idea. So when we read the stories that Jesus told the crowds, we have to realize and recognize the points that Jesus wants to make are exactly the points that Jesus wants to make because these stories are whatever he makes it. He can navigate the story to whatever detail, whatever moral, whatever lesson that he wants because he's creating it right there. 
so if you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 13. I will summarize a few things before we get to some verses that we actually look at, but we'll be in Matthew 13 today. So Bible app, Bible from your pew. We'll start with Matthew 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out to the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables saying, listen. We'll stop there for a second. Listen, the first words out of Jesus' mouth in this encounter. The people were already standing on shore and he was already in the boat waiting, looking at each other. Pretty much doe-eyed looks, I'm assuming, of just like, what's going to happen? What's he going to do? This man that has been saying these things, we will just watch and we will wait. Listen is his first word, which is interesting because saying listen when they're already looking at you is so interesting for me to come up here. You guys are ready for a sermon and I say listen. Well, you're already doing that. You're already primed for that. You already know that's what you're supposed to be doing. But Jesus says, listen. And he tells them this story. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell upon the path. Birds came to pick them up. Others fell on rocky ground. They didn't have much soil. They sprang up quickly, but there was no, since there was no depth, they were gone. When the sun rose, they were scorched. Seeds fell among the thorns. Thorns grew and choked to those seeds. But some seeds fell on good soil, brought forth grain. Some a hundredfold, some sixty. Harvest, let anyone with ears listen. So he starts with listen, and he ends with listen. The Sermon on the Mount is just a few chapters earlier in the book of Matthew, and we know that Jesus has been teaching, preaching, and being with the crowds. He's been stirring them up, and he's preaching the word of God into their lives. The things that he says are the realities that they are living. It's something for them to connect with. Yes, I, I understand what you're talking about when you speak about anger, when you speak about being poor, when you speak about being judgmental, lustful, angry. Talks about all of these things that they can identify with right there. Jesus spoke with authority. Many times in scripture we have them, we hear him saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. His authority comes not because he's a great teacher, not because he's some good example that is living scripture in a way that we find awesome. That's true. But his authority comes because of who he is. He is the divine son of God. Listen, he tells them about the sower, the seeds on the path, the birds, the rocks, the thorns. Luckily, we don't have to guess what the moral of this story is or what the point of this story is, the punchline of this story. Because in your Bible, if you have headings like I do, in verse 18, the parable of the sower is explained. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, 
the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. So now we realize, oh, we're, talk we're actually talking about the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet such a person has no root, but endures only for a little while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. Oh, okay, yeah, check, got it. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word and it yields nothing. But as for what is sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears the fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. Having good soil, bearing lots to harvest. I grew up thinking this parable was a passage about how I should act. What kind of Christian am I? The one with the seeds and the thorn and the rocks or in the soil, and the one that we strive for to be the one with the soil. And then I realized there were no Christians yet. So what does this actually mean? Jesus is saying, listen, this is for everyone. So if I look at joke-telling similarities, we need to know the setup. Jesus in a boat looking at the crowd that's on the shore. We know this. We just said this. Looking at each other. We've covered that. In a time when irrigation wasn't a thing yet, we would assume then that the group of people who are closest to this shore would be fishermen and farmers. And so Jesus tells this parable about a sower, about planting seeds to a bunch of farmers. Why do we need to tell them how to farm? That's like, me going to the doctor and telling them what to do with the stethoscope and the tongue depressor and this is how you do your job. Well, well yes, I, I know, I've done this. Ellen White says that the people who may have been standing there on the crowds were very few in believers. That many of these people had just heard and so they came to see. For the past few weeks, we have heard Pastor Milton repeat time and time again. Jesus is about his father's business. Jesus responds to pressure with purpose. And so as we consider the setup of this situation that we're reading about right now, we know and we understand that this crowd was made up of not only farmers, religious people, but non-religious people. People who saw but did not believe. People who had ears but they did not hear. Jesus is about his father's business. And we have talked about, especially in light of Easter holiday, the fact that we have an opportunity to trade our messy conviction for Jesus' perfect freedom. That is the kind of God that created us. And as we look closer today, when we see t Jesus telling a story to the crowd, it is not merely about a sower, and it's not actually about the seed, but it's a story that says, you group of people, you farmers, you non-farmers, you believers, you non-believers, listen, 
this message is for you. I don't care if you have passed with Hebrews, Israelites, traditions. Listen to what I am saying. Jesus is talking about communal kingdom building, that each and every person is pertinent and vital to what the kingdom means. He's asking everyone to listen and to truly hear. This is not just a story about moral do's and don'ts. It is not a simple affirmation that we are the Christians in the good soil. Sometimes I wonder whether or not Jesus would come here today and we would recognize him, or if we would be the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that persecute him. Gordon Fee, the author I mentioned earlier, says, we need to be careful and weary of treating parables of Jesus as mere allegory or story that points to something hidden. As a story that allows us to, hit, to discover hidden truths. First of all, we get this story from the Word of God, from this holy book that we believe speaks into our life. But secondary to that, but almost primary to that, these are the red words of Jesus. If you have a red letter Bible, you know that these are the words that Jesus is speaking. And we just claimed that Jesus is the living Son of God. And so we don't just get them from the book, we get these as words Jesus is speaking. And he's giving us such an emphasis to listen. If you go to verse 10, we're jumping around, but it'll all, it'll all come together. Verse 10 in, in chapter 13. The disciples came to him, Jesus, and asked, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. So that explanation that we just went through of the parable of the sower, we have to remember that all of the people that heard it didn't get this explanation. This is an answer from the question of his disciples. For those who have more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But for those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. The reason I speak to them in parables is that seeing they do not perceive, and hearing they do not listen, nor do they understand. With them indeed is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah that says, you will indeed listen but never understand, and you will indeed look but never perceive. For this people's hearts are grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing. They have shut their eyes so that they might not look with their eyes, and listen with their ears, and understand with their heart, and in turn, I would heal them. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly I tell you, Many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it. Hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And he says that, but we know the disciples were as clueless as the rest of the cloud most of the time. Are we those people that listen and never hear, who sit in church week by week, but are an empty shell? Sometimes I wonder if I ask about somebody's testimony, they won't tell me the one from last week, but they'll tell me the one from high school when they were converted, which makes me wonder if God is truly active in their life. You can tell me something that happened this week. So when we're in Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the mustard seed starts at verse 31. He put before them another parable. 
The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree. So the birds of the air can come and make nests in its branches. After first service, I got a lovely packet of these. And they are indeed mustard seeds. Can you guys see it? No, because there's nothing there. <laughs> jokes on you. Get it? See, different forms of jokes. Knock, knock is not the only kind. Okay, do you see it now? No, but it actually is there. Like, I don't know what to do. And these are the small kind of mustard seeds. They have some that look like little pebbles and all different forms. The phrase the size of a mustard seed is an idiom or a common expression that was used back in the day. People knew that it meant something small, little, as small as can be, even though there are seeds that are smaller than a mustard seed. But we, because we know that this is just an idiom, we're going to start there. We ha I have a picture of a mustard plant. And so I got this from a blog that I was researching who um, somebody was traveling through the Holy Lands and said that these are mustard plants outside the Sea of Galilee. And in that blog, it read that these are four to five feet and um, fairly new plants. Because here are a few facts about mustard plants. They start out really small from these seeds. We know from scripture, we're assuming it's right. Right? We're not just assuming. We know that this is right. Um, they start off small, and I have them here, but they grow to be very large. They grow to be, on average, 10 feet, and if you're abnormal, 15 feet high. But that is not the impressive part. The impressive part is that as high as it grows, it grows out 10 times more. It towers over wheat. It looks more like a weed and it acts kind of like a weed. If there are plants around it, it starts to take over what's, what's near and it just grows chaotic, pervasive, and out of control. And so in other places, we see Jesus saying, if only you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could tell this mountain to move. You could tell this tree to walk into the ocean. What we could do with the faith of a mustard seed, something so small that grows into something so large, maybe something chaotic, maybe something pervasive or hard to control. We are used to hearing that. And I remember thinking, yeah, I can have about that much faith, right? Just like, I sort of believe, is that, that's, that's enough, right? And what I think God can do with 1% of faith versus 99% of doubt is amazing. Because I would rather believe that God is going to transform that into something beautiful and realize that it doesn't matter what amount it is, it can be used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Planting mustard is a kingdom issue. There are nine places in the book of Matthew, parables where Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven is like dot, dot, dot. Jesus is not referring to the kingdom, the forward-looking Jerusalem on earth that we know as the kingdom we look forward to. 
what Jesus means when he talks about the kingdom of heaven being like a mustard plant. He's focusing on spiritual kingdom of the present age. Jesus set this up so nicely in the beginning of chapter 13 with, listen. And he speaks with his authority, let anyone with ears hear, listen. He speaks about the truths of their life of that day because he is the Messiah. The kingdom of heaven is now here. You are looking at him from the shore and he is in the boat. Their present truth, present truth was a who for them and not a what. Our present truth is a who and not a what. When we look forward to the kingdom of heaven, we think about our Adventist theology because we've worked it out and it's beautiful. We've spent the time, we've studied, we know what the end times will look like and we know what the kingdom of heaven, the new kingdom will look like. But we have to understand time just a little bit. We do believe that it was good in the beginning and we believe that it is going to be good in the end. So it has to be good in the middle. That is today. It has to be good today. If there was no pain at the beginning, then there would be no pain at the end. So there has to be no pain now. If there was no poverty in the beginning, there will be no poverty in the end, then there has to be no poverty now. But it doesn't seem like that's the truth as we know it. Because we look around and we experience it ourselves. Pain, poor, poverty, hurt, anger, all of the things. So then I ask, if we believe that Jesus is in you and I, that Jesus has placed desires, passions, and purposes on your heart, then how can we make that come to life? Because those are the ways that it becomes good today. Today, our mustard seed is you and me. If we are to believe that it is good, that we are good soils for good harvest, and we've asked to have God plant certain plans on our heart, we have to believe that he is going to do something crazy, chaotic, and wonderful when we plant it. But we like control. We wanna plant our own things, and I don't know if many of you guys have gardens or not, but my family, many, many gardens all around. And it is so beautifully, this is the herbs, and these are the vegetables, and these are the fruits. Make sure that they look nice, and we're gonna prune and trim, not only, for good garden practices, but so it's visually pleasing as well, because we enjoy that. We want to plant and we want to be in control, but I think that we need to plant and let God be in control. What God can do with a little mustard seed of faith, a little mustard seed of purpose, a little mustard seed of passion, we want to decide how that looks, but what if we just planted it and said, God, do what you do. Our purpose, the way we respond to pressure, put that in the ground and let God do. 
if we are claiming the sinless conviction of Jesus Christ, if we are claiming his grace, because we don't deserve it, we, the judgment we deserve looks nothing like we would want it to, then we need to plant our seeds. Jesus says, plant this small little seed, this little, little thing, and watch what I can do with it. I can make something that not only grows up, but grows out. Jesus says, listen, this is about the kingdom. This is about everybody's kingdom. This is not just about the future. This is about today. This is about you and I. For those who hear his word, understand what I'm saying and bear fruit. Family, I truly believe that when we listen, we listen to what Jesus is saying. We listen to the purpose that God has placed on our hearts for each of our lives. Then our eyes are opened. That we love better, that we live better, that we connect better, we disciple better. We are just better when we plant the seeds that God has given us. There is transformative power in the gospel of Jesus. And if we believe that, it takes something so small to see something so large happen. If we listen and start using our ears, then our eyes will be opened and we will truly be able to be the body of Christ. A body that is not atrophying, but a body that is so active and not only growing up, but out. May we have the ears to hear this coming week, these coming months, our coming lifetime. May we plant the seeds of purpose and passion. And with the faith the size of a mustard seed, may we grow that kingdom today. That this kingdom that you and I live, believe in, and breathe each and every day is a pervasive, out-of-control growth that only God can do what God can do. And so I'm standing up here today being heretical and saying, love mustard. <laughs> love mustard. Because what God can do with a little seed is amazing. Amen.